whose sirens were we were just hearing in the background if that was you Ashley it's me I live a couple blocks from a hospital so I'm in sirens 24 hours a day now yeah the word surreal I'm sure people are using too often but I don't know it's just it's like it feels like a dream on some level like a weird weird I think the the word surreal is so interesting because like if surrealism was a response to its time then what's the response to ours that's too um, smart for me. I don't even know what that is. From the campus of Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey, welcome to the Writer's House. like someone who is ready to throw dive out the window and just call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, the dog threw up and peed in the house today. Come here, Millie. Oh she probably has like a UTI. But anyway, let's skip all that. Who cares? So Ashley's okay. going to come in at, um, in like two minutes. After. Let's talk about Ashley just so that we can introduce her to our audience. Okay. Ashley Chambers is one of our newer faculty members. Um, she lives in Brooklyn. She's what I would call a performance artist on some level. She does a lot of video work um, and she'll probably talk about this, but part of her inspiration came from having a very serious case of Lyme disease, like a nearly fatal case of Lyme, um, which required her to stay inside. So while she was inside contemplating her own mortality, she was like, if I have these few moments left, I'm going to use it to make art. Like I don't want to, you know, lose this opportunity. So that's what she did. So a lot of her work grew out of that. So I think she was a great fit for 209 Intro to Multimedia because she's so literate on all those platforms and really good at it. So she just came in this past fall and she just picked it up. She's a natural. She's, she's, the students love her. She's extremely dedicated. She loves teaching and um, she's a great artist. So she's, she's everything we want um, in our faculty. She's like you. Yeah. She's committed to the work and to the teaching, which, you know, well, is the hope. I'm very disappointed. We were, before coronavirus hit, we were going to have a screening together. I know. I was planning on coming to that, too. That was the day they were like, hey, everybody, it's kind of <laughs> over. <laughs> I was super excited. You're the excited. luckiest fellow I know, John. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah, I, I just... Yeah, because, like, every time there's something you're looking forward to, it feels like the universe just says, mm, not today. The only good thing about that is if you're totally, if, the, if you're so screwed by the universe, it means you must be someone very important. That, like, yeah, you could look at it that way. Mm -hmm. that you could be the fulcrum upon which the whole thing rotates, <laughs> but you're yeah. screwed. That yeah. sucks. Or something uh, else comes of it. It's going to be interesting because we have wildly different styles. Right? Yeah. I tell sort of more personal stories that are sort of straightforward documentary in terms of style. And Ashley's are, you know, radical and experimental. And, yeah. And uh, it would have been really interesting to see how they juxtaposed together with, you know, an audience of students that had seen neither. So it seemed like a good fit collaborative wise, like you guys on the surface don't have the same kind of um, material, but really, like you said, it's autobiographical. It comes from what you're passionate about. So there's, there's a connection there. She just always has this like, kick-ass headgear that she's wearing when you know when yeah, i see her I accept it, you, yeah you know on the flyer for the screening if you showed a picture of me the photograph that you took of me looking yeah. like sensitive new age guy 
like sad professor dude and like yeah. this really funky artsy young woman with like some kind of homemade wire crown on her head i was like right. i want to see her movie not that was that no 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 was it a balloon i don't know what it was on her head it was something yeah. she made oh i think she's yeah. coming in okay good oh nice was that the green screen background yeah, this isn't from green screen. Snapchat has like built-in green screen filters. Um, oh. And now, yeah, I can't even remember how to take this background off. So we're stuck with it. That's now. fine. Yeah, that's okay. It's, this is an audio medium, so it doesn't matter. Um, how are you holding up? You know, um, considering I haven't left my apartment in six days, uh, mm -hmm. I'm. I think I'm okay. I'm trying to find a place to go um, because I feel like pretty safe except my housemates are still going out so like I'm not going to contract corona unless I get it from them because they caught it and we're sharing us you know we share a bathroom and a kitchen it's impossible to not come in contact with each other so I feel like I need to leave New York for like 45 days I don't know though everybody's saying something different I physically feel fine um, but I really have had zero contact with the outside world. So, I mean, I stocked up and got a ton of groceries about 10 days ago. Um, eventually, I will run out and have to. Where would you if, you, if you left New York, where would you go? My family's on the West Coast, you know? So, um, obviously, I would go to my family, but I can't fly to Seattle right now. And then all my best friends live in Portland, so that's out. I have a good friend here who's dad owns a 19 room mansion in long island city apparently. can i have the address can i have the address for that i'd like to go there <laughs> you should google this place it's insane victorville by the sea it's he rents it out as an airbnb and apparently there's a floating barge as a part of this mansion. Wow. it's just tricky because they've got somebody there who's even more immunocompromised than me so they'd have to quarantine me in the barge for two weeks before i'd be allowed to enter the common space and they're not sure if the barge is livable because it's been winterized and no one's been in there for a year so they're figuring it out in the next two days while i wait looks, around. looks cool got a movie theater and a chef's kitchen it's totally i mean her dad's totally insane but you know who's not right now Have you taught a class yet? Yeah, I taught all day yesterday and it was great. Like it <laughs> it was the only normal moment I feel like I've had in two weeks because it's, you know, it was so good to see all their faces and check in with them and we didn't have any issues. I was surprised we didn't run into any major glitches and it was almost like holding a regular class. So that felt very good. And I've been in a lot of touch with them, but. How long did the class go for? I met with the whole class for 30 minutes and then I split them in half and I met with each half of the class for an hour. So each student got like an hour and a half of FaceTime total. Um, next week we're not meeting as a whole class and each half is giving an hour and a half of time. And then the following week, we're gonna live watch a film together and live tweet, and then all come back together as a full group. So I'm mixing it up every week. Um, That's cool. But they, it seems to be going well. Like kids who are having any connectivity issues, they just switch from their computer to their phone. I mean, it, the Zoom is much better on the computer because you can see everyone. If you're on your phone, you have to be 
you know, thumbing through. But it went well. I was a little nervous that it wouldn't, and it did. You know, and they said that most of their classes are not meeting face-to-face -face anymore. So I think it was useful for them. Yeah, I feel like it's important to meet face-to-face. -face. I don't know, for me and for them. Do you know what I mean? One, to connect yeah. with them. Two, like, you know, part of my whole sort of method is to try to create that vibe that we're all in it together and that this is a collective experience that nobody makes a film without the help of other people's feedback and support um, technically emotionally creatively what have you and to like then just disconnects that idea so let's talk about ashley's work what you're interested in and and if you could describe a little bit of your whatever project you're working on now for for listeners sure um so I have a pretty non-traditional background, which uh, John and I actually talked about because we were going to have the movie or the film screening together right before coronavirus hit. Um, most recently, I've been working on a series of films called The New Moses. And in The New Moses, I like re-envision myself as Moses in 2020. And I built an analog set mostly out of trash and cardboard and tape and acrylic paint in transcontinental Egypt in my apartment and re-envisioned myself as queer Moses in 2020. And I'm unable to ascend the, the mountain like Moses from the New Testament because I am who I am and end up having to uh, penetrate the mountain with an ax and then end up copying the mountain. She hands me an axe, heavier than it appears, points in the direction of the face of God, says, don't look yet, Moses, baby, wets her right index and middle fingers, and tells me that her favorite women are the dying, clairvoyant type. Coincidentally, I have already constructed a replica of Mount Sinai and the tabernacle not made by hands in my apartment. And yet it is this encounter with Sixu that snaps me into place, demands that I listen up, that authenticates my identity as the new Moses. That's sort of the first film. Um, and then in the second film, Moses has entered uh, the cloud of darkness and the cloud of darkness is constructed of uh, about 20 to 30 women who have long dark hair so the cloud becomes a sort of human structure that's sort of the second part of the film and then it, it moves from there so I've been working with different theological concepts um, and also becoming increasingly more and more comfortable teaching myself Adobe Premiere and using yeah. I'm really self-taught with video, like my background's in creative writing and theology, but I don't want to just keep my work on the page. It's, it always yeah. wants to be performance and video, so. Was your MFA in poetry, or what, what did you study in your MFA program? So I went to the University of Alabama, where you do enter with a genre, but it's one of the more flexible and experimental yeah. MFA programs. So I technically entered as a fiction writer, but my... I ended up writing two theses, and one was a poetry thesis, and the second was creative nonfiction. I would say, at the moment, I write more creative nonfiction than anything else. Like what that term even means is yeah. up for debate, and something I talk to my students about a lot. Um, 
So yeah, I I ended up switching genres, though they're very fluid and flexible. Yeah, that makes sense. Can I interject one question? You grew up on the West Coast. How did you end up in Alabama, of all places? I applied to like 15 MFA programs that were fully funded uh, and got into a handful of them. And Alabama really swept me and I think everyone else off our feet. They flew us out there for free and put us up, essentially courted us and made us fall in love with them. And the funding package was better than the other programs in many ways because you don't need a lot of money to live in Alabama, right? So it, and it is the longest MFA program in the country. I had full funding for four years. Wow. You don't teach your first year, you teach your second and third year, and then your fourth year you have an option of staying and all you do is teach and write a thesis. You don't have to take any coursework. So you just have a lot more time to be creative in that program. How did you like living in the South? I think I became who I am in Alabama um, because I had loads of time to sit around and write and create. And- <laughs> we got rowdy fans of the, of the podcast chiming in. That's okay. Ooh. And I had an incredible like cohort of people in Alabama. Many of them are still my best friends. So it was it's really about the community. I, I, I used to live in Wilmington for three years in North Carolina. I, the South was very good to me. It, like my heart rate was like 10 beats lower. I, I just love being down there. I love the vibe. It took me a while to get used to the pace of things. And then once I did, I adopted that pace of things. And having grown up in New Jersey where everything is so friggin' frantic, I was just so healthy down there. Like what mentally. were you doing in the South? Uh, Wilmington has a big film industry. And so I moved down there with a bunch of friends to um, try to crack into it that way. We were living down there for like 200 bucks a month. We had a a dock on the intercoastal waterway, a block away from the ocean on the other side. There was a vibe down there too in Wilmington where like everybody was up for anything. A lot of young people had moved in there to break into the film industry as well that were from Southern universities. And so somebody would pitch you an idea for a short film and that next day you were making it and one day you were in it. The next day you were the director and the next day you were the guy to carry the food. It's like you said with your experience in Alabama and your, your cohorts there was the sense of community that was so powerful and intoxicating. Yeah. I'd never experienced that before, not in college at all. So it was really thrilling. And I always try to tell that story in my classrooms, you know, to try to like generate the same vibe inside the classroom that I experienced down in Wilmington. Yeah, same. I feel like I would give anything to go back to Alabama and to live in that world again, but without the people, you can't, right? Some of the best years of my life, because um, it's just like built in, incredible creative community, and there's nothing to do but make art and hang out with other creative people. Uh, but it would be impossible to recreate. I fantasize about going back, but that community isn't there anymore. We've all dispersed, so. Yeah. And then we try to build another community, not the oh, same. Right. The intensity level is so much lower when, you know, grad school is such a time when everybody's going through the same thing and, you know, you're you're doing everything together, but you build something different here, maybe. Yeah, I would love to try to find that up here in the Northeast. It's tricky. Um, I have a question. How did you get your piece on The Believer? What's it called? The, uh, the Kitchen Counter? Yeah, uh, how did that happen? 
So the person who writes off-brand video, it's a monthly article in The Believer, Patty Gone, they were following my Instagram account. They emailed me and said, hey, I've been a big fan of your Instagram account and your short films for a long time. I'm wondering if we could uh, interest you in like making a longer piece that we could feature on The Believer and write about it. And I immediately was just like, yes. Beyond my kitchen counter, the God's body of water is large and arrogant. Beneath the God's brainy feet, the white faceless rocks near the white water have no weight. I issue forth, knocking and kneeling at my own shrine, nauseous and bloated with accidental power. I begin the day with an overwhelming sense of tragedy. I'm born because the God still doesn't know me. I'm told I can't take my placenta with me. I'm told that far beyond what I will come to understand as thought, I possess unpredictable, lyrical tendencies. In the earliest hours of my life, the God pretends to be a panting wilderness worthy of my touch. It's true. I speak now from the drowsy shadows of the God's right arm, suspended and limp, unworshipped and insane. It's true. I'm managing the impossible. So Kitchen Counter to me feels like a mini video sermon. Um, and that was, it, it felt to me like the culmination of everything I'd made in body conference, but, uh, at supersonic pace and, and longer and more intense than anything I'd posted on Instagram. Cause you're cut off after 60 seconds for a film on Instagram, right? And Kitchen Counter, I think is just about four minutes long. So the way I looked at, the way I imagined Kitchen Counter is if I had to deliver a sermon in video format, what would I need to say that's most pressing right now? Um, so the text, the voiceover from that comes from a much longer piece of writing that is a sermon that I wrote the summer prior. Um, and then the imagery that you see is a, is a culmination. That kitchen that I'm in is the kitchen that I nearly is part of the room that I lived in and nearly died in and then came back to life in when I had Lyme. So that, that kitchen space became like, I tend to stay in, um, in previous films that I'm moving out of it in small domestic spaces and transform them into new worlds to try to inspire people to see like, you don't have to go somewhere to create a new world. You can create one with the space that you have and the garbage and the trash that you have right there. You don't need to buy something or use any fancy equipment to make anything, right? So that's that's where that film was born from. Can you tell uh, us how you, how, how you use Instagram as a tool for filmmaking? Because I, I don't know anybody else that does that. Absolutely. I, Instagram is where I started making films. I was diagnosed with late stage neurological Lyme disease in 2015 and I became, I was real, I was sick off and on starting in about 2013, but things became emergency level into 2015 into 2016. And once I was finally diagnosed and they figured out what was going on, I was pretty much housebound uh, for close to a year while I was in divinity school. It was like, I would say the most challenging year, year and a half of my life. Cause I didn't have that community that I had in Alabama at divinity school. It's very, very different vibe. And I was very sick and I mean, profoundly lonely. And so I had been on Instagram here and there in the past. And then I thought, wait a minute, here's this platform and this opportunity 
and this place where I can continue to make art and people are going to see it and receive it in the ways that I had been performing and making art in Alabama in the flesh. And so I slowly started making, moving away from just image and writing into film there. Um, and at, at the time I was so sick, I wasn't sure if I was gonna make it. I became incredibly vulnerable because I felt like I had nothing to lose. Like maybe these would be the last things I would make. Every day I, I wasn't sure. Um, was on antibiotics off and on for 18 months in and out of the hospital. It was a very challenging time. And so I, I really just gave it these short films that people started watching. I started gaining a kind of following everything I had um, because I love to create and I love to perform. And I was, I was alone in this little room, very sick. That's where my Instagram account, Body Conference, was born. And then a sort of new kind of video artist persona was also born. Hello, I am your captain. And if this is a pilgrimage, then toward what? No, I'm not dead, but I'm looking for the things I used to do. My real form is Shirokne. And the universe is hidden in the Glundon Gospel scripture. Remember the Big Dipper? And this ceremony is being held inside of a very small green dog, green on the inside. Would anyone care for a to-go order? They say the soul is a bird. Instagram is kind of like a living gallery that everybody is walking through all day, every day. More people are going to see your work there than they are in some prestigious, you know, art gallery in the Lower East Side. And so I was just churning out work on a pretty regular basis there while sick. And then I, once I started to recover and went into remission, I just, I kept making films. And now I'm making much longer films and uh, have been teaching myself how to use more professional software and, and trying to get more serious about it. Though I um, still dip my toes into Instagram here and there, but not as much. I miss it. I check in on that every once in a while because it's always something funny and interesting and creative. I, I could, if I wanted to, become ordained in some tradition, if I had a tradition. So I call Body Conference the Church of Tragicomedy. I feel like a lot of my work uh, sort of teeter-totters and tragedy and comedy yeah. simultaneously, trying to find humor in the darker moments. Yeah. And the body part, the part that, you know, because a lot of your videos focus on the female form, you're female, or you identify as female. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm interested in that too, what, what it is you think you're, what you're trying to say or. Yeah, it's funny. The name Body Conference is actually a uh, candy store uh, who used to teach at Rutgers came yeah. up with this name because we took a um, printmaking class together when we were at University of Alabama and we had to come up with a press name. The body has always been very central to my work, but I think in a way that's different. Um, it's not that I've, you know, questioned my uh, gender, sexuality, any of those things. It's more that I've often been at odds with having a body at all. Um, my body has always felt less like a body and more like a sort of con conflicting conference of uh, various parts that don't seem to work in tandem with one another. And it's my life's project to become a, a coherent singular entity. That is a really good project. I would, yeah, I, cool. I think that's a very good goal. You seem to be in one body to me. I mean, every time I see you, you're in one form. 
You seem actually very grounded. Seems like, I mean, I'm doing uh, up till this Corona scare, things have been pretty good. I've been in remission for years um, without any symptoms. You know, one of the things that you and I discussed when we were going to do this screening is to what degree are you comfortable sharing work this personal with your students? Um, in, in terms of my students, I'm, you know, I think right off the bat, I would certainly not show them these, these films because they are incredibly vulnerable um, and very personal. And my, you know, my physical form and my body are, are a dominant force in them. I think that my students though, a couple of weeks in do eventually understand that like, I am a very emotionally present and engaging person. And I am like a vulnerable person. Like I don't have a, you know, a teaching persona that is so divorced from who I am as, as a person in day-to-day -day life or even as an artist. And so at this point in the semester, I would be very comfortable sharing this work with them um, because we, we've talked in 2020, you can't not talk about the big, difficult, challenging things that we're all facing in terms of mental health, physical health, as though these things could be divorced um, and the, the tragedies that we're all like consuming and feeling on a day to day or at this point, hour to hour, minute to minute basis. So I would have no problem sharing these videos. And in fact, a couple of my classes this semester did end up watching the first episode of New Moses on that day when we were going to have the film screening because I'd promised them they were going to see films and they were excited. I didn't feel comfortable sharing Kitchen Counter without other instructors present, but I would if, if we were in a more communal environment. I think it would be fine if I could provide the necessary context for them. I think it's yeah. important for teachers to be people. So Yeah, I agree. Agreed. It's interesting to be back in this place of isolation that I lived in so intensely for a year, year and a half when I was so sick with Lyme. Like this space is not unfamiliar to me, except now I am a well, knock on wood, you know, able-bodied person back in isolation, whereas before I was profoundly sick in isolation. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say that the screen and the way that we're interacting with people, um, even in FaceTime calls or right now in Zoom um, or in social media spaces, that that, that is real life. Um, I can tell you that my, the way that I chose to navigate that space when I was so sick sa saved my life. In the community that I, you know, fostered on Instagram, I still hold so dear to me and they helped me through that period. So to not think of the device or the screen as something so lonely and alienating, but rather something that can connect us. And that I think we should, especially right now, make ourselves as vulnerable as we can to one another in this time of crisis and to try to be as creative as we can in these spaces um, to, I don't know, co-author and create some kind of revolution. You're allowed to say that, that's fine. Emma? Am I allowed to say that? Yes. One last thing. Do you have TV? Like, are you, are, what is your consumption of that? I have a laptop in which I sometimes consume uh, trash TV and I sometimes consume uh, more meaningful hmm. video content. I, I've been pendulating hard inside of this chaotic moment. What's your example of trash TV? Like Real Housewives of Atlanta? Like my students uh, sort of forced me into watching the most recent season of The Bachelor. Oh uh, my God, I'm obsessed. 
because we were reading uh, Reality Hunger by David Shields, and he talks a lot about reality TV. Yeah. And then I'm also watching The Handmaid's Tale because I am uh, must hate myself. Yeah. It's a crazy thing to watch right now, The Handmaid's Tale. And yeah. then I watch, you know, films that have a bit more meaning to me. But I actually haven't been watching, I haven't been watching films recently. Thank you for taking this time. Yes, thank you. And hopefully this fall we'll get to do a redux on that, uh, that screening session. I really hope so, John. By then we'll have all new work because we'll have been in isolation for months. And ideally we're going to be making loads of things at home, right? <laughs> Just yeah. churning them out. Churning out movies. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, Ashley, so we'll be in touch. And um, thank you so much. And yeah, um, take care of yourself. And I'll talk to you later on today at some point somehow. Okay, thank um, you, Amy. All right, take it easy, stay safe. The Writer's House podcast is an original production from the School of Arts and Sciences at Rutgers University in New Brunswick. Our theme song is Collarbone by Fujia and Miyagi. This episode features music by Chill Study, Emmett Cook, Flash Flority, Olive Musique, and the Lemonheads. I want a big part in your life.